Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Rocks Pile Podcast, part of Fansided Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Kevin Henry and Noah Yingling. And welcome into the Rocks Pile Rockies Report. I'm Noah Yingling, one of the co-experts of Rocks Pile, and I am joined by two people today. One of which, though, is Mr. Kevin Henry, my co-expert and friend of Rocks Pile. How are you, Kevin? You know, I'm the least surprising person on the podcast today, so doing well. I'm excited. Uh, I'm ready to dive into some fun topics today with a good friend of ours, the heart, the soul of DNVR Rockies. That would be Patrick D. Lyons. Patrick, what's up, man? Pleasure to be aboard. Well, yeah. First time, long time. Yeah, so first I'm, time, I'm, ex- time, yeah. I'm ecstatic to be here. Thank you. Well, well, we're not going to take your comments off the air. You're staying on with us because uh, we're going to talk. You know, I thought it's the holidays. It's you know everybody's getting in a little bit better mood despite the the lockout, all that stuff. So let's talk some positive things. You know, let's talk about certainly, you know, the results might not have been as positive this year for the Rockies, but what are some things that we look back on this season and we can say it was okay because dot, dot, dot. So Patrick, you're the guest. I'm going to ask you first, what's your dot, dot, dot as far as the Rockies positives this year? I think it was a real positive sign for Brendan Rodgers to come out of the gate here for the first time healthy. Did start late, of course, really didn't get playing with the Rockies until late May and about three weeks in. He showed he was one of the better second basemen in all of the National League. And I think that's going to be one of those big storylines where we can see it now, but in a few years' time, we might look back and say, well, what was 2021? What was this lost season? What should it be most remembered for, or really just contextualizing it and saying, wow, that, whether we knew it or not, and I think we do know it, that was the year that Brendan Rodgers broke out and his star started to shine. Yeah, you know, we wondered for so long what would happen if, what would happen when, you know, and and, and all these things, and we finally got that glimpse of, of Rodgers this year, and you're right, I think that's a huge positive, and and let's be honest, a lot of the conversations that we're going to have the rest of the offseason about the Rockies infield and what the future holds as far as positioning and everything else, a lot of it revolves around what Brendan Rodgers can actually bring to the team at multiple positions. It will be interesting if they do decide to slot him over to shortstop. It does seem like that's probably not going to happen. 
the the rumors about Ryan McMahon moving over to shortstops probably suggests they want to really prevent that. And I'm fine with that, especially because again, Rogers is still at the early stages of his career. And I think it might do more harm than good to have him move back to shortstop if defense is where his focus is more than offense. So let him stay comfortable at second base, plug that hole at shortstop another way and just watch his growth you know, continue to flourish, much like we're expecting Ryan McMahon to continue to do so now that he's pretty much just a third baseman now. Yeah, and, and it's funny you say that because that was one thing I thought, and Noah, you know, jump in here because I, I don't want Brendan Rodgers to turn into Ryan McMahon as far as moving all over the diamond. Now, defensively, turn into Ryan McMahon all you want, obviously, but but let's pick a position for the kid. Let's make sure that he stays there and let's make sure he flourishes there as well. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the thing where you you like your players to be versatile, but also too, you'd like in theory to be able to give them one spot of hey, it's nice that you can play short, third, wherever, but we w- we want to have you at second base all the time. And in regards to shortstop, I mean, if there's somebody who has not played shortstop for the Rockies, but can pick it up and play every day next year, it's Ryan McMahon. Because, I mean, we've seen defensively how good he can be. The main thing for him is he just has to find the consistency offensively. Whether it's the power bat of the first two, two and a half months of the year, or if it's more of the on-base bat for the rest of the season, he needs to be able to find more of that consistency. But for the Rockies in general, I mean, they're uh, talking about positives. I mean... Obviously, I like you said, not great with the record, but it, a it was better than a lot of people predicted. I mean, n- nobody was. Uh, how, however, I do have to say, nobody was perfectly correct in their win loss prediction because they played 161 games. So you it's true blew air by Alawar. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, they proved everybody wrong because they played 161 games. So, um, but most people were projecting them especially I, I shouldn't say most i would say most fans who were upset with the team were saying oh they're gonna lose 100 games or whatever but they're starting pitching last year I, th- there's no way they really could have lost 100 games with that starting pitching especially pitching well at coors field really the only one that didn't pitch better at coors field was kyle freeland which is very odd considering he's the colorado native but he it, for the Rockies rotation in general, they were fairly consistent. Now, the thing is, like with John Gray, of course, he's not going to be returning, but he had some injuries and a few of the others had some injuries. But that goes more to the depth question, the, more the question of depth, which we all know is a problem for the Rockies. But there were a few rays of light throughout the season. I mean, for example, if the three of us were sitting here talking in March or even April and would have said that arguably your best reliever would be Lucas Gilbreth, you'd be saying one of two things. One, you're nuts. Or two, who is that? True. No, you're right. I mean, what a great success story he was. You know, we talked about rookie of the year stuff earlier, and obviously I think he would be that guy along with Connor Joe, uh, you know, and Connor Joe was a, a positive, uh, 
story. You know, uh, I think a lot of people fell in love with Connor Joe this year as well. So I, I think there are some building blocks and, and you mentioned Kyle Freeland and, and I just want to say that one of the things that I saw real positive this year was that stretch from Freeland where he looked like the 2018 Kyle Freeland. And I think that that was a real positive thing considering how the season started for him, the injury, everything else. And it took time for him to ramp back up. If he can have a full year healthy next year, and yes, I'm counting on a full 162 game schedule next year. But if he can, I think that obviously that's going to be a sign, a good sign for the Rockies. And I think he's going to be needed more than ever next year, just not knowing now with Gray out of the picture what comes next for this rotation. I was going to say the entire rotation was obviously a, a positive. We know how successful they were overall, but all five starters in the rotation at one point, I think over the course of their best eight or nine starts were virtually unhittable. I think all of them had a span of nearly two months where they had an ERA slightly around two, a little bit more, a little bit less. And so it wasn't just, Hey, a a really good solid overall season, a 4.5 ERA. It was the fact that all five members showed a particular ability to dominate over a longer stretch of time. And that's something, of course, they're going to want to do a lot longer. But that was a, a major takeaway that each member, including the new guy on the staff, Austin Gomber, who was a fantastic surprise, really as the number five guy. And he showed that, hey, there's there's a lot left in the tank for this young man, especially considering he still has at least about four years of control on the Rockies. So that's he's going to be a guy that's going to be around for a few more seasons to come. And for Kyle Freeland, uh, how Kevin, you were talking about the stretch there that he had. He had a it was a 12 start stretch from the end of June through the end of August. Remember, September 1st, he made a start in Texas and that's when he got injured. So up to that start, he had a 12 start span where he had an ERA of 257. So I that's that's actually better, slightly better than what he had in 2018. Mm-hmm. And his great overall season. Now, obviously, 12 starts is less than a full season, but also 12 starts is what he would have made last season in 2020 if it was the if he was healthy for the full uh, 60 games. So that's if he would have had those numbers. He was healthy in 2020. But if if he had those kind of numbers instead of his ERA was, I believe, four thirty three. Um, but if that's, that's two runs lower. And, and you got to think back to this past year as well, because we're going to talk about, you know, the positives and, and a lot of on-field things are going to happen, but let's not forget, we got back into the stadium this year. You know, we, we got to attend games live this year, all-star game went off without a hitch and really was a, a great showcase for Denver. Uh, you know, despite all the political ramifications that were around before it, when the game actually took the field, it was a great moment. Uh, you know, and so I think that there's a lot of things that this franchise did right this year. And part of that, I will say, is also ramping up the uh, attendance to make sure that whenever, you know, All-Star Game hit, we could be at full attendance at Coors Field and not have to worry about the masking and everything else going on. So I think that was a big benefit. You mentioned the organization doing things that were good and that were right. You know, they brought in CJ Crone on a minor league deal, a guy that for the last couple of years seemed like he'd be a perfect fit for this team, for the ballpark. And yet 
even though he has to go out and earn his spot on the roster and essentially does what we think he's going to do, it's easier said than done to actually put up those kind of numbers. And he goes out and does that. So he still ends up exceeding those expectations, joins a pretty elite group of guys who end up becoming the National League Player of the Month, does that in August. And if you go back and look at players who've done it for a 30-day-plus stretch, those are some of the most elite players, the legends in Rockies history. And C.J. Crone now puts his name on that list. Wait, Patrick, are you telling me that you don't just swing a bat and a ball goes 500 feet at Coors Field? Is that what you're saying? I'm just curious here. It Sometimes it can go the opposite way in foul territory 500 feet. The key <laughs> is straightening it out. <laughs> I like my golf swing. I get it. All right. Oh, one more positive, and then uh, we're going to take a break and talk some Hall of Fame stuff. Man. Well, first off, I mean, uh, that that's breaking news to me that if you just tap a ball at Coors Field, that it doesn't go 500 feet. I, I know. Um, I, I And I hate to, to break that to you, man. I really do. Well, yeah. I, I actually found it out in the information packet from our crack research crew, and <laughs> – at the very, uh, that was actually number two on the list. Number one was, uh, I, I don't know if you guys knew this, but um, Joshua Fuentes, he's actually cousins with Nolan Arenado. It, I didn't know that until crazy. Today. Oh, well, we'll wow. have to do some more research into that. Too. Okay. So, yeah, well, uh, I'm going to oh. have to have our research crew look into that more. So, um, but <laughs> for, <laughs> for some of the, um, some more of the positives, I mean, I, uh, you mentioned Connor Joe. I mean, especially with the uh, cancer battle that he had. I mean, that that's a big one. Um, overall on the season, though, I, in a way, you can view it as a positive. Um, in a way, it's not a positive because the way that voters vote on it. But it's Ryan May- McMahon's defense. I mean, of all areas of Nolan Arenado. I think most people would have said, okay, the Rockies will be able to find somebody. And again, this goes to the hitting the ball 500 feet at Coors Field. Most people would have thought, okay, they can find somebody to replace Arenado on offense, but not defensively. And actually they found, at least by the numbers, they found somebody that's better than Arenado at third base and second base defensively. But they still haven't found somebody there offensively. But also, too defensively Arenado still won the gold glove and the platinum glove because a lot of it is his reputation. Nolan being Nolan, maybe some people would say, yeah, that I have heard. Have you heard that? Okay. All right. I was going to trademark that just in case you guys hadn't heard that. So, and no, to your point about making up for Arenado's offense, got to mention Elias Diaz and everything he did behind the plate. One of the best, hitting seasons by a catcher in Rockies history. And on his off days, Herman Marquez was making up for the offense as well at the plate and, you know, getting, getting that nomination for the silver slugger. So maybe between those two guys, they stepped it up and they, they pretty much made up for the loss of Arenado. The problem is though, going into 2022, Marquez might not be hitting. They've got to slot him a DH at one game, just in one game. <laughs> they got to do that. So, and a side note on this, and it won't be too long, is I think actually better than the universal DH is let the manager pick. They do that in spring training, where hey, do you want to play with the DH today? Eh, no. Well, we'll have the hit or the pitcher hit. Okay, yep. so you can have Marquez hit if you want, or 
oh, we've got uh, player X that's injured, so we have a short bench, so let's have our pitcher hit. Why not have both? Why not have Cal Freeland play right field? Yeah, I mean, hell, put him at shortstop. He, he took ground balls at shortstop, and the Rockies need a shortstop. There you go. Put him there four out of the five days of the week. The other day he pitches. There you go. That would might earn him a Hall of Fame nod. Let's talk more about the Hall of Fame after this break here on the Rocks File, Rockies Report. And we are back. Kevin Henry alongside uh, my friend and co-expert Noah Yingling and our special guest, Patrick Lyons of DNVR Rockies. Always glad to hang out with him, even if it's virtually. Gentlemen, the Hall of Fame process got underway with some much-deserved love for some old-timers. Uh, and, and I use that term lovingly because I, I will say, and Patrick, I saw your tweet about it. When I heard that Buck O'Neill finally made it in, that was a big moment, I tell you. And I think if there's one thing that can unify all baseball fans, it was that Buck O'Neill deserved to be in the Hall of Fame when he finally got there. I was, I was super ecstatic. I can remember where I was the day they announced that he wasn't with that group in 2006. And I can remember hearing his beautiful speech where he got the entire crowd on the lawn in Cooperstown at the Clark Sports Center. And less than a year later when he passed away and thinking how just much of a gross injustice it was that he wasn't there in that Hall of Fame. And so for him to finally get that nod on Sunday was it was it was beautiful. I'm so happy for so many people. I've I've never wanted to go to an induction for a player that wasn't going to be there. And and this this will be a first for me. We'll see what happens this summer. Noah, what jumped out at you? Because obviously, you know, a lot of Hall of Fame announcements, a lot of guys getting in after waiting quite some time to get in. Was it Buck O'Neill or what was it that really jumped out at you about the Hall of Fame nominations this year? Uh, What jumped out to me was for uh, Buck O'Neill was on the early baseball era committee. Um, What jumped out to me was the golden days era committee. And I, this is one of the biggest things I hate about the hall of fame stuff is a limit on the players you can vote for either you're a hall of famer or you're not. I mean, if there's one guy on there, okay, that's great. If there's 15 guys on there, that's great. They had a limit of four guys they could vote for. And they had four guys get in, but you get players like Dick Allen, who he fell one vote short, so he's not in. And the the thing is, too, with the committees is it's nice to be able to get the players in eventually, but you prefer to get them in while they're still alive. It happened with Ron Santo a decade ago where he was borderline in the viewers and uh, the viewers, the voters eyes. Um and then as soon as he passes away, he gets voted in. And at least with the Golden Days Committee, they had two players who are still living, or former players who are still living in Jim Cott and Tony Oliva, both of which are going to go in as Minnesota Twins. Um, but it was nice that they were able to get four guys in there because at least for me personally, I'm a bigger hall person. But... It shouldn't have been, oh, we can vote for four guys. It's either, are they Hall of Famers or not? And and I will tell you, you know, the reaction that there was around here when Larry Walker finally made it into the Hall. You know, I I was texting with a buddy of mine who lives in, in the Twin Cities last night. And 
you could sense that that was a big deal for them. I mean, Jim Cott's great. Don't get me wrong. But for Tony Oliva to finally get in, that was a big deal for Twins fans. And and so that was really good to see him finally get that nod. It's a guy that, uh, you know, it's funny. He, he apparently will go around the ballpark and take pictures with people. I mean, he's very present still in the in the Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, community. So that was a really cool thing to see as well. And, and I got to be honest, just for the curiosity side of it, I love that Minnie Minoso got in. I, I, I thought that was such a cool thing, knowing how he has touched baseball for so long. And, you know, and we were talking about uh, before we got on about the uh, six degrees of separation game that you can play. And I would bet Minnie Minoso would be a guy that would connect a lot of folks throughout the years. Yeah, I believe he played over five decades. And in fact, that I think was part of maybe one of the reasons why he wasn't in sooner because those players or, or those committees that were around when he came back more as a publicity stunt than anything, not so much for him, but more for the White Sox and more for Bill Veck and whatnot. And it became about, well, we don't want to promote this kind of behavior perhaps and completely neglecting, you know, the, the history that he has and what he represents to the Latin American communities as, you know, one of the first Cuban born players and not even just players, but stars. Like there's that also element to it that that we can't forget and you know bud fowler uh was was the other player from uh, pre-negro leagues i bring him up because of course during the course of his playing career he did play for a season it was really only about five games i believe with the pueblo pastimes right here in colorado so it's not quite on the same level as larry walker going in as a colorado rocky but you've got a professional ball player that spent some time in colorado now going into cooperstown once again and Noah, I'm just going to tell you, if, if Minnie Minoso gets in, then where is the justice for Eddie Goodell? I'm just asking this. Oh. <laughs> of course, Eddie Goodell being the uh, player that took four pitches and it was for the 51 St. Louis Browns. Perfect on base percentage. I'm just saying. Yeah. He, did, he does not have an at bat, but he does have a plate appearance. <laughs> and it's because he took four balls because his strike zone was the size of a soup can because he was three foot seven. Hey, robo umps now, you know what I'm saying? I mean, how many of those were strikes? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) So um, with Minnie Minoso too, and for a few of the other players, especially in the future of getting in, his career was actually elongated by adding the Negro leagues to it. Um, So if you looked at it, how Patrick mentioned how he was a, five-decade player, part of it was because in the 70s, he played three games. And in 1980, he played in two games. And it was actually just two plate appearances. But in the 40s, he only played in nine games. But if you add the Negro Leagues, he had more because he played in 46, 47, and 48 in the Negro Leagues. So his career is elongated by that. Um I'll have to see, though, and if you listen to the podcast where I was on with Patrick on the DNVR Rockies podcast last week, um, there on Baseball Reference, there's this thing. It's I believe it's called the Oracle of Baseball, and you can check to see of all the players that are connected. I'm going to have to see if some Rocky is connected to Minnie Minoso. I guarantee you there is. And if it if anybody, it's probably Ulysses Shasin but I'll have to check. Yeah. Uh, I think there are some steps there along the way. 
you know, and, and I saw an interesting Twitter th- theme last night. And Patrick, I don't know if you saw it or not, uh, but it was if Jim Cott can get in, what about Jamie Moyer? Uh, you know, it <laughs> started to throw out some of those interesting. And, and I thought it was a joke at first, but then you start looking. There's some actually some similarities between the two, believe it or not. So it's kind of funny. On Sunday night when Jim Cott was talking with his, his good buddy, Bob Costas, Cott, you know, I, I'm not a Cott. Uh, supporter as far as him being a Hall of Famer. He's in now, so he's a Hall of Famer. I, I would never take that away from someone. But going into that, I never got that sense that he was a Hall of Famer. And as you talk with Bob Costas on the MLB Network on Sunday, he said, you know, he seemed surprised by it. Like, well, you know, I, I was always a number two starter for much of my career, sometimes even a number three starter. Uh, And, you know, I I thought the Hall sometimes can reward players for longevity. Of course, over 4,500 innings pitch. I think that's 17th most all time. And certainly, you know, to be having a long career, to be able to have that certainly says something about a player's abilities. But even he himself almost wasn't convinced that, I'm re- I'm in the hall of very good, but you know what? He's in, and maybe that does open the door for more people. I'm I'm very much fine with that, and, and maybe blurring the lines between the hall of very good and the hall of fame because I'm not a I'm not one for the small hall. Right. So that that would be interesting to go back and and look at some other players to say, all right, if we've moved the line a little bit and maybe made it slightly easier for players to get in, cool. Let's have that conversation. That'll be fun too. Let's welcome more. Why not? Yeah, I think we got three big hall guys on here, uh, which which is you know uh, a pretty cool thing. No, you were going to say something. Sorry, man. Well, you were talking about the expansion of the Hall of Fame, and one of them that I think most people would say, other than the people in that room that voted for him for the committee to get into the Hall of Fame, was Harold Baines. Where at least for me, he has a very spotty uh, Hall of Fame track record um i would not have put him in but also too when you uh, there was 12 people in the committee and you had to get eight votes to get in and four of the people that voted for him were former teammates former managers uh former general managers or former owners that he was with but also too part of the reason why i bring up his name is that ulicia scene and minnie minozo are very closely connected because oh, here we go. Justine played with John Garland on the 2013 Rockies who played with Harold Baines on the 01 White Sox who played with Minnie Minozo for two plate appearances on the 1980 White Sox. That, actually wasn't, that wasn't much of a little step at all. Actually, that wasn't bad. Yeah. So they're, they're connected. Justine and Minozo are connected by John Garland and Harold Baines. Two names I did not expect us to discuss whenever this podcast started today, but here we are. So, Well, it's like when I was on with Patrick, we, we talked about Mike Bordick. I did not expect to be talking about Mike Bordick, <laughs> but we did because we were talking about shortstops moving to other positions and Cal Ripken Jr. moved to third base because the Orioles got Mike Bordick. There you go. Wow. Can I give you one for Kyle Freeland? Absolutely, would you please? If we're, if we're off the if we're off the rails, we might as well just embrace. Well, I mean, it. Why not? Go, baby. All right, Kyle Freeland played with Wade Davis for the 2018 Rockies. Wade Davis played with Manny Ramirez on the 2011 Tampa Bay Rays. Manny Ramirez played with 
Harold Baines on the 1999 Cleveland Club, and Harold Baines played with Minoso in 1980. I'm loving these steps. I'm digging this. I'm telling you. I wonder what's the fewest amount of steps now you could still make. It's got to be four, right? I mean, I'm trying to think who who would be. Hmm. If well, you get I mean, Black, Shasin to Minnie Minoso is only two, so. That's pretty good. I think Bud Black, you'd have to really get creative and go that way. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, you could probably come up with some interesting managerial ones. Uh, I have no doubt about it. Uh, you know, throw LaRusa in there and everything else. And uh, Dusty Baker, probably uh, throwing Dusty in a few places. It would not surprise me at all. Uh, yeah, Ralston Black, even if he did not play coach or manage somebody, he, he's pretty well connected to everybody. Absolutely. He'd have a story to tell you about him. That's for sure. There's I no mean, he had a story for us in Chicago when he was talking about um, Hector Villanueva. I don't know if you remember that story. Oh, Great Cubs catcher. Exactly. Legendary. Yeah. I'm telling you. No, I, oh, I remember it well. Cause I remember Hector Villanueva from my WGN watching days. Uh, there's no question about that. So. He played all of 191 games in the majors and he, he did have 25 homers, but at least one of them was off of Harry Ralston black <laughs> in his very first game that he ever pitched at Wrigley field and two Harry Ralston black gave up three home runs in his first game ever pitching at uh, Wrigley field. And two of them he gave up to Luis Salazar. So there you go. And, and I remember we tried to stump him on that and we did not. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, if there were two ones slider, like, of of course you remember that. Of course. There's those encyclopedia. It's crazy, I tell you. Um, I tell you, make sure you check out on uh, rockspile.com. Our friend Kevin Larson did a really interesting article about uh, Todd Helton, his Hall of Fame chances, and what it means for the new guys who are coming on the ballot. Uh, the David Ortiz, the Alex Rodriguez, what uh, the, what that class might mean for Helton's chances. But gentlemen, so far, Helton's actually doing pretty well in the early voting. I mean, as we record this, I've seen uh, his name uh, out there quite a bit, so that's good. One of the interesting wrinkles that ended up coming out with Sunday's Hall of Fame announcement was that Gil Hodges was the only player to not be in the Hall of Fame who had ever received 50% or more votes from the BBWAA. And so now, yeah, I know it's crazy to think he got to that threshold and then slipped all the way back, but nevertheless, he kind of now makes that almost the standard point where 3000 hits, 300 wins, 500 home runs, asterisk, but nevertheless, hitting that mark actually is, is a good omen for a guy like Todd Helton going forward. And I think, you know, I think voters really pay attention to those things of, Hey, if this is the only person that's, you know, outside of a group that, that an error has been made there, there's been some kind of mistake. It goes back to Dick Allen. I saw a fantastic graphic someone made. It was a rolling decade. So instead of just thinking the 1990s being 1990 all the way to 1999, you can take every individual year and say, well, what about 1991 to 2000? What about 1992 to 2001? And if you look at the OPS leader for all of those 10-year spans, Dick Allen is the only one that 
led in OPS in all of baseball for a 10 year span. He actually did it twice. Everyone else is in the hall of fame. So Hodges now getting in, having been over 50%, that bodes really well for Todd Helton going forward, I believe. Yeah. And, and it's, it is a travesty that Dick Allen didn't make it in. I mean, it is, uh, he will the next time around, but obviously that's a ways away too. But, uh, you know, I think that that right will be wrong or wrong will be right. just like it was with Buck O'Neill this time. So, and that's another thing too, where, I mean, the last time this group had a voting committee was, I mean, it was a long time ago. It was probably, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's, it's been over five years. And I mean, you have some guys like, for example, one of them that either is in the hall of very good, or some people think he's a hall of famer is Dave Parker. And he has Parkinson's. He, uh, who knows? He can, uh, he, he's definitely in the last few years of his life, regardless. I mean, he's in his seventies now, but who knows? He couldn't, he could be, I believe he's up in 2023 or 2024 on one of the voting things, but he may not be with us then. And his, has his hall of fame resume changed since he last played 30 years ago? No, it hasn't. But unfortunately it often takes a death of somebody for them to get in the hall of fame. And and I think so often our views shift as well as, years goes along and and suddenly you're right uh it, it is maybe a little bit of an absence makes the heart grow fonder thing you think back to guys that we've lost or guys who you know maybe they weren't good enough two years ago but now this is their last year on the ballot you know there's a lot of folks out there that say larry walker got a lot of last year votes because they knew he was getting ready to fall off the ballot and whatever the reason is thankful he got in there obviously uh, but I'm willing, I'm very anxious to see what happens to those 10 year guys this year. Cause there's some notable names that are on there that are getting ready to drop off. Yeah. And I mean, they include uh, bonds, Clemens shilling. So uh, you're going to have a lot of guys drop off this year. And the thing is too, especially with the current ballot is whether you are a steroid guy or not, and whether you're willing to vote for them. There's some writers, like, for example, John Heyman, he decided to, and he has in years past as well, to decipher between them. He, yeah. I, he votes for one of Bonds or Clemens and not the other. And then some of the others, uh, even some of the other voters, like, okay, one of them voted for Manny Ramirez, who has two positive tests on his record, but didn't vote for Barry Bonds who never had a positive, a known positive test. Now, I mean, we know that he took steroids, but Manny Ramirez had two positive tests after they had implemented all the stuff. So that's some uh, BBWAA members differentiate between that. When you get your vote in nine years, nine years, baby. Uh, it will be a, a little bit different the ballot because, I mean, the first-year guys this year are going to be on their last ballot. So, I mean, some of them are going to be fairly easy picks. Like, for example, Buster Posey is going to be on there in five years. So you might not even have a chance to vote for him because he might already be in the Hall of Fame by then. But 
especially for the committees going forward, it's going to be difficult. Are they going to consider if, if they don't get in this time, are they going to consider a shilling bonds Clemens? Yeah. It's going to be tough. My whole goal is to get Justin Morneau over the hump. That's, that's what I think, uh, you know, you're 10 baby. That's what I'm thinking right there. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're a bad person though. If you don't vote for Michael Kadire, <laughs> you can't ever tell. <laughs> it would be a fun experiment to kind of try to project who's going to be on the ballot in 10 years, because we know guys will fall off. If you get less than 5%, right. you're off the ballot from one year to the next. Kenny Lofton being the most egregious player who oh, get the 5%, right? We, we all know how great Kenny Lofton was yeah. at the top of those lineups for Cleveland and, and even later on with, with Cubs in Atlanta. But if you get less than 5%, you're off the ballot. So you almost can't even necessarily count on someone who's a first year now, although you might be able to count on 10 years of debating over A-Rod and David Ortiz. So you almost, as you said, Noah, with Buster Posey, he could be a one and done guy where he gets his 75% plus in the first year in what would be in the 2027 ballot. So you almost have to project, all right, who has about four to five years left because that's going to really be like the first class of guys that you'll get a chance to vote on. One of them, um, because since he wants to pitch into his mid forties could be Justin Verlander. Yep. Very well. Could be. You're right. Yep. By the way, for the 2026 ballot, I know Kevin, you won't have a vote then but it should be noted that two rockies legends legends will be i have their first ballot then and that is daniel murphy and matt camp nice wait are we are we do we know for sure that murphy and kemp are retired they could have one more go around no well (laughs) murphy said he's retired i mean who knows i I wouldn't be surprised if kemp is back next year i'm just gonna (laughs) of the two i think kemp could well be back but remember kevin he he can't go to grand junction to get himself rehabilitated and warmed up that's not an option anymore right and who knows we could have a jim palmer situation where oh i just got voted in the hall of fame so i'm gonna try to make a comeback in spring training (laughs) oh good call yeah oof oof Patrick, we think you're a Hall of Famer, dude. So tell people where they can find your wonderful work and everything you're doing out on the Twitterverse, brother. Well, on Twitter, it's at DNVR underscore Rockies, where you can get all the news and notes on all things Colorado Rockies and then some. And also, if you get some time, check out thednvr.com. We have subscriptions for 50 cents for your first month and annual memberships that actually get you a free T-shirt from the DNVR Locker. Absolutely. Well, I know we enjoy doing these. Uh, Noah and I, uh, we, we love to reciprocate. Uh, you know, you've had us on. Uh, we're going to keep having you on this offseason that hopefully won't be too dark too long. Uh, so we'll see how it all goes. Noah, any final thoughts, man, as we wrap up? Hall of Fame. We'll be talking a lot about it here in the next few weeks because of the lockout. There's not much other sure. stuff happening. That's a really good point. Yep. There's going to be a lot of talk about that. Um, so stay here, follow DMVR Rockies, follow Rockspile. We're going to make sure that we are uh, taking care of you with everything we can to get you through this darkness that is the MLB lockout. But hey, locked out or not, as always, go Rockies. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? 
I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.